make that feeling go away if you like. Why would I want that? The pain? Their loss. It's all I have left of them. You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode four. Dissonance Theory. And before we start, I just want to thank everybody for listening to us and following us on Twitter and leaving those awesome reviews. We really appreciate it. And that's what drives us to continue to do this. Yes. And we'll definitely go more in detail with that in our section later on, Clatcher's Comments. For now, episode four was directed by Vincenzo Natale. In case you're not familiar with him, he did movies like Cube, Cypher, and Splice. You love those. (laughs) I love horror movies. There's something about Cube, though. Yeah. I mean, Splice is kind of, it's like your typical horror movie. Cube was always ranked in my top favorites because it's a thinker. Mm -hmm. There's something really different about it. I couldn't picture him doing this episode until I heard that. Oh, okay. It's, it's a weird combination because then you have, it's written by Jonathan Nolan, of course, but Ed Brubaker, and he's a comic book writer. He's done oh. DC, Marvel, some crime fiction, and mostly superhero comic books. So I was like, how is this going to gel together? It gelled. What did you think about the episode? Because it's getting mixed reviews. I loved it. Why is it getting mixed reviews? Fans. Critics were were pretty up on it. IMDb gave it a 9.1, Rotten Tomatoes an 89%. But I'm hearing a lot from people that they're frustrated. They feel overwhelmed. I think the most common thing is either they can't figure out what's going on. And a piece of that, I think, is perhaps looking too far into it. So these alternate timeline theories, I mean, it could be happening. But I'm not entirely sure we should be getting too lost in that stuff just yet. Lost. Yeah. Didn't someone who wrote Lost? (laughs) A lot of people are making those comparisons. And they struggled with a similar fate in that they put in a lot of really deep puzzles that didn't always pan out. That's true. But obviously the people that are saying this were not watching Mr. Robot. Because this is kind of like a nice reprieve compared to that. <laughs> Maybe that's why we're feeling the way we are about yeah. it. But uh, Not overwhelmed. Yeah, they, they were also talking about... I thought one of the, the better critiques was that a common theme here is who is host, who is human. And if the story is going to be mostly from a host point of view and they want you to feel empathy for them, to latch on to this concept that they're developing sentience and that we should kind of be on their side, that they don't feel enough for them yet. The stakes aren't real enough. They can die and be brought back to life. They can have their memories wiped. The the little bit of remembering is bothering them, but they're still not totally attached if they are mostly to Maeve. I think that's a good thing because it's, they're getting more and more aware as we have more time to get more and more attached. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense. 
I think it has to be a slow burn because if they just came right at you and said, these are robots, but you should empathize with them because mm-hmm. they're becoming human. There's something in you that kind of rejects that right. immediately. It's like saying, I feel for my cell phone mm-hmm. because it's starting to develop consciousness. You need time to build that up and have people warm to it and see what you're talking about, see the human qualities and the evolution taking place. And I think them knowing that they have five seasons written, yeah. they have the time to build that more. I agree. If you think about it now, out of humans, guests, and hosts, do you feel a strong emotional connection to any character? Uh, I feel some emotional connection with Bernard. Yeah, he's my top one. That was my answer as well. And as far as, well, he might be a host. But as far as who we know is a host, I'm going to go with Teddy. That's so interesting because they have been playing with that idea. And yet he seems to be the one least developing and awakening, right? I mean, they've been pushing the Dolores agenda a lot. But I'm still not connecting with her the way I think they want me to. Not yet, anyway. The the one I feel most connected to is Maeve. And I've sort of noticed from day one that she has never really felt like a host. The minute we met her in the Mariposa, yeah, she seemed too alert, too aware of what was going on. But also you have to remember that her job in Westworld is to be alert and aware of what's going on in that bar. That's an excellent point. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because speaking of branching out into wild theories. I love to theory craft. I love when we talk about these things. I don't take any of it too seriously yet. There's mm-hmm. some ideas that I like, but yeah. I'm open to the storyline could be simpler than what our wildest expectations are. Right. And I think I see them maybe going in that direction here is a lot of what we think we're seeing as hosts awakening and developing awareness, is that really just what's being put into the new narrative and the new storyline? I think for some of them, yes, perhaps. Uh, I don't think for Maeve, and I don't think for Dolores. Maybe Dolores. They could be steering her. Yeah. Because... She's hearing voices, and she's... Yeah, and in this episode, they're talking a lot about how they might be using that idea a natural point in early evolution we discussed last time is this theory that you hear voices in your head and you attribute that sometimes to a higher power. And this is where the development of religion comes in. Right. Trying to make sense of the world around you. Perhaps even looking at the stars, although we find out this episode, maybe even the employees at Westworld are looking too (laughs) far into things because that's not Orion. But anyhow, they could be using this as part of the new narrative that it seems Ford is pushing. And if Arnold is, in fact, in the park in some way, shape, or form, whether his consciousness has been uploaded into somebody like the man in black or he's actually there, whatever that might be, if he has his own crew of hosts that have sort of gone rogue, as we proposed last time, maybe these Native Americans that don't seem to be able to get shot in the same way, could they be headed for a showdown, and he wants to use that. Ford is just using that as part of his new storytelling that he's putting forth in the park. We saw from 
previews of next episode, something everyone guessed at, that he wants to use Teddy as his own personal hero. So it could be a lot more scripted than we even know. Ford might be uh, as much as everyone that works there doesn't know what he's doing. And he's putting kind of like a veil over their head. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's doing the same with us. You're right. It might not be as much of a natural evolution as we perceive at this point. Because remember, we're only four episodes in. Yeah. It's likely not going to be what we think it is at this point. Speaking of that, let's get into this episode. I have a few notes for you before we go to our overview. One could say we're not that deep in the rabbit hole yet. <laughs> well, we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, trying. So we, have, we had a theory last week that may not be true now. I'm not as confident anymore that we thought that the man in black was... Arnold. I don't know that that's lost. You think this was debunked? I think it still could be possible, but in reading a lot, I'm starting to think that it might be, if we're doing the dual timelines, Mm -hmm. the theory, and it's not my theory, that it might be William, but older. Mm, I don't like that You don't like that? I don't see that adding up. I feel like that's a fun thing people have latched onto. I don't see a lot of proof of it. Well, we know that William works for a company that has moolah who has stake in Westworld. Mm -hmm. He's marrying into that company as well. Mm -hmm. He has the money, and we know that the man in black actually isn't a bad guy, which we did predict first episode. Yeah, but I think to the opposite, William might go bad. That was my initial prediction. Go black hat. The man in black is not bad, but William could go bad. The man in black is black hat. He does what he wants in the park, but he's harming... Robots that'll come back to life. Right. So he might go bad as far as like shooting robots now and stuff. But Yeah, but if William goes bad and this is him in the future, yeah, then it doesn't make sense because the man in black isn't truly bad. Well, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think William's going to go bad. I think maybe he'll start to learn to enjoy himself. There. Oh, you don't think he will? Uh, I don't know. I don't see that. He was pulled so easily by Logan into, come on, play the black hat with me this episode. There's been certain clues that it might get a little more gray and muddy. Hmm. We haven't seen evidence yet. It's just something I'm theorizing because I don't think they'll make it as cut and dry that he'll stay white. Yeah, you might be right. Either way... There's a lot happening in this episode. I understand what people are saying. We're going to do our best to break it down for you. We talked a lot last episode about the titles of the episodes this season and what that could mean. So we discussed cognitive dissonance, which is a state of conflict. When what you're thinking is in opposition to what's happening or behaviors, and you have to do something to make that right. And we wondered what extremes could they go to, these hosts that are experiencing that, to set the world aright. We might be seeing that a little bit with their flock towards religion, something that will help them make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. Even Ford explained that Arnold expected this to happen. He expected them to eventually grow to hear the voice in their head as a moral consciousness, as a developing awareness, but sometimes people heard it as the voice of God, and that's natural. I also liked some of the other definitions that it could indicate a lack of harmony or agreement between people or things 
or also a lack of harmony amongst musical notes. So they keep playing with this musical idea. Yeah. I think it's going to come back around, and I still don't know how yet. Speaking of music, we had three notes for this episode. The song A Forest by The Cure, the instrumental version, of course. This played while Maeve talked to Clementine and she started having her first hallucination. The second was Pineapple Rag by Scott Joplin, which played while Maeve warns Clementine that the man is part of Hector's gang. And finally, Carmen Suite Number 2, Habanera by the London Philharmonic, and that played as Hector rode into town. I don't notice the music as much in, well, first episode one I did, but uh, I don't notice it as much in this show as I did with Mr. Robot. I wonder why that is. It's less obtrusive. I wouldn't use the word obtrusive because that's more negative, right? I'd say it's less in your face. Yeah, well, I mean obtrusive in the sense that when they were playing things like Paint It Black, it did take you out of the episode for a minute. In a good way, though. Yeah, maybe, but I think some of the brilliance of good scoring in music is where it builds the scene, it builds the tone, but it doesn't draw you out of the episode to think about, ooh, I love that song, that sounds really good. And Ramin Jawadi is very good at doing that, like with Game of Thrones. It's just an undertone to the mood, and Mm. I love that. So I think he's nailing it again here. Nailed it. Quick fun facts. In episode two, I mentioned that Anthony Hopkins finally got on Twitter. Yes. And it was started with a video of him with Mark Wahlberg. And essentially Mark Wahlberg introducing Anthony Hopkins into the Twitter world. Mm -hmm. I didn't put two and two together because I'm an idiot or because I'm just doing too much. But I I figured they were doing a movie together. But now I know for a fact that they're doing Transformers together. So Anthony Hopkins will be in the new Transformers. Oh, wow. So that should be fun. Speaking of Twitter, on our Twitter at CKC Podcast, we retweeted an article by Amanda Barden. She wrote this fun article on what the names of the characters would mean. Oh, yeah. Or could mean. And I won't go through too many of them. She really goes deep into it. A lot of good work there. So I'll do a few of them. Dolores in Spanish means Lady of Sorrows. Mm-hmm. And then she, she explains the definition and describes it. Maeve in Irish means intoxicating. That makes sense. Hmm. She's a brothel manager. Yeah, but that's her surface level. I I guess for her narrative because the people are naming her to fit the narrative. Yeah, okay. I get it. Clementine is Latin for merciful. Hmm. Elsie is Hebrew for God is my oath. God is my oath. Huh. And Dr. Robert Ford. So Robert in German means renowned. Peter in Greek means rock. He could be the rock of this. Oh, yeah. And I hope that has more influence. I have to believe he's coming back at some point. I hope so. William in German means determined protector. Huh. That's cool. Actually, Amanda says that Brock, Peter Abernathy, seems to be at the foundation of some of the core mystery to the show. Yeah. So even if he doesn't come back, that would make he sense. He pulled us in too much to be a, a one-and-done type character. And she continues to go on and on, which is really nice. She gives a lot of word, uh, a lot of names and their meanings. So if you guys want to check that out, it's on our Twitter, or you can just go to amandabarden.com. Check that out. I also found on Twitter storyboards for Maeve's memory sequence. 
so nice. it's a it's an image, you know, a written story, drawn storyboard of how that's going to happen. Where she's looking at the eye, it starts to bleed, mm-hmm. and then it's horizontal. Clementine. So that was planned. What do you mean? It was planned for her to hallucinate that. No, the storyboard from the director storyboarding the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought you meant oh. like when we get those Delos ink behind the oh, scenes I narratives. See, yeah. No. Okay. No. Cool. Yeah. And when we watched that scene, I thought it was very beautiful the way that was laid out. The transition into that. Oh, so very artsy. I love that part. You couldn't even tell what was going on at first. It was very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And it makes sense. Their uh, their memories coming back to them in that way. They perceive all the things that happen that don't align with our world and create dissonance as dreams. So I think you're going to see more and more of the play on that, like later on in the episode, mm-hmm. where Dolores looks up at the moon and the screen starts to go dark, like her vision kind of blacking out a bit. Yeah. And she pulls back that memory. I also have one more fun fact that was brought to us by a Clatcher, matter of fact. Josh was mentioning how we talked about Grand Theft Auto being an influence yeah. for this show. And he says that's interesting because Stephen Ogg, who plays the host named Rebus. The milk guy, right? Remember we saw him? He was one of the three main characters in Grand Theft Auto V, voice actor and character model. And probably the most memorable character, Trevor. Trevor Phillips. Good job. I can't believe I didn't think about that. I kept saying he looks so familiar. And that was my favorite character, Trevor, in Grand Theft Auto. You know where else you might recognize him from? What? The Walking Dead. He plays one of Negan's henchmen. Oh. A short part, but uh, he also says a short and memorable part in the first season of Better Call Saul. Oh, there we go. So you got multiple references. So thank you very much. That's the kind of information we love to put in here. Thank you, Josh. That was awesome. Yeah, we finally have his name. This is the one that we couldn't figure out the username, Dartagba. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a mistake. (laughs) So we got the real thing now. Thank you very much. And let's get into our overview. We started out this episode in another diagnostic session. Fourth episode in a row, opening up on Dolores. Bernard is asking her why she ran. And she's explaining about the pain of her loss. Everybody that's important to her. She has a really great quote here. I feel spaces opening up inside of me. Like a building with rooms I've never explored. (laughs) She also says there might be something wrong with this world. Something hiding underneath. So, is this about the maze reference? Is this about... The possible people speaking to them in their minds, religion. It was a really deep quote, I thought. Or she thinks she could even be losing her mind. I think there may be something wrong with this world, something hiding underneath. Well, the offices and all the, their shit where they're constructed is underneath Oh, good point. And actually, I think the stray host, last episode, that was uh, you know off climbing the mountains on some kind of journey mission, some some yeah. kind of mission i think he was trying to go climb a mountain to maybe find the conservatory to go into the building okay so i definitely thought he was following the maze mm-hmm. whatever that is but if the center is mesa hub maybe that's a very interesting thought and then you could actually be free if that's the way out 
And you Not saw he was yeah. consciously free. And he was in a hole, so maybe he's trying to go down into the mountain once he... Absolutely, and I think there could be places that these hosts might be able to hide within the park. I mentioned that last time. It seems like there are certain rogue hosts that they don't have a good handle on, and I think there could be a contingent of them out there that they're not keeping total track of. They could belong to Arnold or somebody else who is getting them ready. Now, this could be planned. They might know about it. It could be the showdown that Ford's going to have, but it's very interesting to think about if it's not because one of our Clatchers brought up a good point later. With all the technology that we're seeing here, this is supposed to be a futuristic world, and they're tracking all these people minute to minute, and yet when they lose a host and it goes stray off of his narrative, they have to physically send people out to follow him and get close to him. Right. Why would they have to do that? Yeah, did, did we get that Clatcher's name? Because that was a very good point. Why didn't they just send a signal to bring it back? Yeah, that's from Oren. He wrote into us and said they would have wireless access from almost anywhere, and we do see them pulling everything up on their little iPad things. Yeah. It's almost like... Maybe there's parts of the park (laughs) where the signal is not good. I don't know. You know, like when you get out past the center, if this is a world such as the Truman Show, Mm -hmm. where you're in a contained bubble, maybe when you get closest to the edge, it just doesn't work right anymore. Or maybe they are underground at some point in these cave systems Mm -hmm. and their signal is not as good there. It could just be another fun, interesting layer. You might be right. Yeah that we don't have 100% control over every host in the park all the time. Because also, to me, it felt like it wasn't so uncommon of an occurrence for somebody to go stray and the team to have to dispatch out to find him. True. Right? That didn't feel like a breaking emergency to me. With Dolores, they sent someone out. Mm-hmm. Why don't they just put it in, like, drive mode and have it just walk back? Right. Yeah. Or that. Auto drive mode. So, yeah, really good point. Back to this scene... Bernard actually tells Dolores she can be free if she can find the center of the maze. So again, does he mean, literally, I want you to go find this concrete maze and you could attain your freedom? Or I want you to keep evolving, find your way out of the deeper level of the puzzle and become conscious? Or both? Well, you did say that maybe the center of it was to make them free. But Mm -hmm. what got me was that Bernard knew about it, knew about the game, Mm-hmm. And was telling Dolores about it. So, <sighs> And that goes one of two ways. He's pushing the new narrative and he is on Ford's side. Or he's against them and he wants to see them evolve and be able to obtain that right. It's got to be he's on Ford's side because we've seen, and I'm skipping, I always do this. <laughs> but when Ford was speaking to Teresa... Mm-hmm. We've seen him say, like, I know everything. I know everything about my workers. I know everything about my hosts. And certainly much more than we ever thought. But I know you're sleeping with Bernard. Could that be hubris? Could there be things that he I doesn't know? I didn't see a character's name hubris. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Um, no, I, I, I'm guessing Ford knows That's everything. That's legit. Yeah. Okay. I, that did not seem like an empty threat. No, it did not. Now we go over to Maeve chatting with Clementine at the bar. This is the moment you spoke about where she starts to bleed from her eye. 
Maeve has the memory, the hallucination of the previous attack on the brothel where she and Clementine were killed. And now she sees the cleanup crew when they go to take her in that horrific scene. Eventually for the physical repair where it winds up badly, but she snaps out of her trance first and runs home to examine her body. You said something really pivotal here. Is this simply a narrative memory, or is she feeling physically right. the pain of what's happened to her? Does she on some level... You know how they say people can have phantom pain? Although here it's really not phantom. We find out later she's still got the bullet in her, but I mean phantom as far as something cutting her, right. feeling that surgery. They also say with trauma, a lot of times, it's stored two ways. Because your brain doesn't have time to attach a narrative or words to what has happened, and here, even if they could do that, that would be wiped. Mm -hmm. But with trauma, you store things on a different level. You store it as imagery, so it comes back up as pictures later, very strong emotions, and also as physical memories. Right, like if you, like phantom limb syndrome. Mm -hmm. If you lose your arm, but you still feel it there. So, I mean, these people could be storing memories in that way. They can't necessarily put words to it or talk about it or make sense of it, but they get flashes of images. They feel scared or anxious. Wow. They feel things that have happened to them in their own body. It's kind of like that what you're seeing there. It's a little bit like PTSD when you've been traumatized, that they're getting these flashbacks of horrible events. Yeah. And I think this is the start of what made me really feel for Maeve, continuing along from that scene in the other episode with her surgery. Crazier than that, she then begins sketching the memory of the cleanup tech in that weird suit. And she goes to hide it. She decides upon a floorboard. And when she opens it, she finds a whole mess oh. of the same sketches. So that means she's been reliving this feeling and having these uh, memories for a while. So that also means that last episode was not like yesterday. No. Either there are slightly different time sequences happening here, and I will agree to that. I don't think it's massively parallel. Well, I don't think it's massively parallel storylines. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're jumping back five years into the past, but yeah, it's not strictly linear. And it almost is a bit like art therapy here, what she's doing drawing this trauma, trying to get it out of her head, trying to make sense of it. She doesn't want anybody to find it. And how disturbing when she finds them all there. Oof. What must she be thinking? That she's losing it. Yeah, or in her mind, does she think she's been through this same thing over and over? Um, uh, I think she starts to piece that together later. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, in a post-mortem session with this woodcutter guy, the guy who smashed his head, he's sitting there. It looks horrible. Elsie tries to troubleshoot him to figure out why he had this behavior. But Teresa doesn't want any of that to happen. She comes in, puts her foot down, says QA is taking over the investigation, which she's really wanted going back to Dolores and Peter for them to just seize control. And Elsie is infuriated because Bernard really doesn't do anything about it. He allows her to take control. You know... I always figured you gave me this job because I speak my mind. I did. Good. I would have preferred you not show up at all if the first thing you were going to do is cave. They think we're not telling them something. And we're not. There is clearly a pattern of behavior here. First there's Abernathy, and now there's this. 
I mean, I've got hosts imagining voices and climbing mountaintops to consult their astrological chart. This is not a fucking glitch. And for some reason, you don't want me to tell anyone. It's like everybody around here has got some kind of fucking agenda except for me. And what? I remember when I first started here, the host seemed very lifelike. You begin to read things into their behaviors. Don't be patronizing. Fine. The hosts don't imagine things. You do. That's not Orion. There are three stars in Orion's belt, not four. And she's upset with him because she thinks there's a bigger problem at hand. So not only is he giving the reins over to Teresa, but he's also not getting to the root of what's really happening with these hosts. Yeah, she's very smart, and she even said, you hired me basically because I'm not afraid to speak Mm. my thoughts. Yeah. And she's not getting the answer. She has all the right questions. She has all the right wonderings of, like, why is this happening? She's, She's doing all the right research, looking over the clip. She's the one where we first hear the name Arnold. Yeah. And I think she is going to continue to ask questions and will. If Bernard doesn't know yet, she's going to be the one to make Bernard figure out or make him realize what's going on. Oh, it seems like he knows a lot more. But I don't think he's blowing her off to protect Teresa. I think he wants to continue this research with Dolores and he's afraid if they get too far onto it, they're going to be shut down. Mm. We find out there's an even stronger distinction between all the different levels of people that come into Westworld, maybe even than we thought before. This used to be a place where Ford and Arnold had free control. They created their beings. Arnold never even wanted the so-called moneymakers to come in here and mess with them. Mm-hmm. Who knows what they really wanted to do with the host ultimately, if it was going to be a park or not, if it would have been a lot different. Eventually they came in. So you've got the original creators. You've got the money people, the board, that seem like they're going to come down and investigate. You have shareholders in this. You have Teresa and QA, which who knows what side she's really on. Yeah. You know, there, there's so much involved here in the politics. This is where we see that it wasn't Orion. Yes. So what do you think it is? If it's not Orion, let's think about this. What could it be? I'm thinking it could be the mountaintop and then that outskirting part with the dots on the outside, the two legs a bit. Mm-hmm. Could be the conservatory. The Mesa Hub. Yeah. Could be the church. If you look at it the right way. When she first picked it up, I did not think Constellation. I thought piece of a map because that's what everybody's been following. Uh, the map that will take you to the maze perhaps would exist underneath the skull cap of all of our hosts. So I thought it was a part of it that he was remembering or he was being given and once you put that together with enough other carvings, you would make up a whole map. Oh, that might be right. But we do know he was searching for something. And it seemed like he was following it. It was taking him further astray out into the hills where we find other hosts that seem to be perhaps more awakened as well. So they're definitely gathering out there. But she did 
seemingly misinterpret this. He shuts her down by saying she put her own story to it and it's not even correct. And I wonder if that throws her off a bit to question herself. Like, am I reading too much into these behaviors? I wonder. Over at the campsite, William tries to convince Logan to take Dolores back. But Logan wants to keep going on this bounty hunt. (laughs) He wasn't into it at first, but now he thinks that William might have actually found an Easter egg. So that was interesting. What kind of Easter egg are they on to? Well, Logan told William that, I think later he says, I think your stupid bounty hunt actually found us an Easter egg in this puzzle. And later they're going to go, they're going to capture Slim Miller. We know that Logan wants to find this this deeper, funner path that they can follow on Westworld. That's what he told William in the beginning. Don't get sidetracked with this. We're going to find the real thing. And um, perhaps they've stumbled upon it. He also tells them something really important. He says that maybe they should get more stake in the place. And that with their family, everything is business. So a couple of big questions. They're stakeholders. How big, how important, does that mean anything to the part they're playing in the park right now? Do they have a bigger mission? Because how could it be business to go to Westworld? You know, what is the goal there? But also he thinks they might have sent Dolores to William to give him something to care about so that he'll keep playing the game and he'll keep following it through, that maybe this is all intentional. And that kind of goes along with what I said. How much of this is her coming to consciousness and making decisions of her own free will and winding up at William's camp versus how much of it was set up? Did they want her to go there? Right. And that whole part later on in the episode where we see how every little detail, it's very micromanaged. Yeah. To the point where they create another storyline just to make those two visitors story work because they had to cut that one short because families are coming in right so you're right maybe we're viewing it as her coming awake when it's really this new Mm storyline and they could want a certain bit of that for the storyline as we had initially prophesied right i mean our initial thought was that ford was creating a new narrative where the host would be more free to build it for themselves right and have a part in that. So maybe he thinks he's found a way to control a little bit of awakening, such as he did with the reveries, take it one step further so it's more interesting, but they're still gods. Mm-hmm. When you hear that voice in your head, it's still me and I control your life. <laughs> you know? We do know that Dr. Ford does have a god complex. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see. So you might be right. Yeah, certainly. And, and speaking of a wild card... I still don't know how he fits in. We see the man in black who's in search of answers, pursuing the maze still with Lawrence. And when they approach a clearing, he notices Armistice bathing in the river Mm -hmm. and puts together the meaning behind her tattoo. Somebody had mentioned a while back that it could have been a snake on her face. It was really hard to tell. And when they do the close-up, you can see why the part that's on her face is the only part that's not colored in and finished yet. But here we get a really good look at it, wrapping entirely around her body. And he's clued in right away. He knows he's looking for the place where the snake lays its eggs. Mm -hmm. So could that be her and how much does she know? Immediately he wants to get that out of her. So he finds a way for him and Lawrence to earn a spot in their group. Very cleverly. 
Yeah. He's uh, he knows his way around there. If Dr. Ford has main like full control, the man in black has almost as much control just without actually having control of the hosts. And is Ford controlling him in some way too? I mean, I'm wondering how far this even goes now. Yeah. Is he part of the plan? Oh, I don't know. Because we wondered if he was host all along. And I thought if he was, surely he had to be rogue. He might be an agent of Arnold's. He might even be Arnold's. But now I have to question all of that after this episode. I understand why people are feeling overwhelmed. Two guests do know him from the outside world. So I don't think he is a host. Um, not fully. Yeah, definitely not fully. That's going to be interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here, like you said, he finds a clever way by taking out two of her men and saying, well, now you need extra help, so we'll come with you. And then we go over to a tech who notifies Stubbs that Dolores has strayed from her loop. He comments that the boss is disrupting many storylines with the new narrative. This isn't the only place that chaos is being writ. I mean, it's happening all over, and perhaps they don't really know the extent of what he plans to do. They're scrambling to try to pick up his mess that maybe is in part intentional. But it's unclear if she's accompanying a guest, in which case if she is, it'll be all right, they'll let her go. And we do see her wandering through Las Mudas and finding Lawrence's daughter, who's drawing the maze with the dirt and the stick. This starts to mix in with her memories, where she is remembering the past and the church, And it seemed as though she was actually remembering the little girl drawing the same thing at the church. Yeah, I I, that's what I was going to say. Again, I think she's been there before, Dolores. Mm -hmm. And she's remembering a time when she was there and the girl was there. And she was told about the maze and and about all those things. And this has all happened before. Yep. So what's different about it this time? I mean, he says later... William's there. Ford, that is, that he's not going to just do a redo. Right. He's not sentimental. He doesn't want to bring back the past. This is going to be so different. This could be all his thing, man. It has the church. It has... I mean... But how is that different? If the church was there at one point, if they've been through trying to find the maze, what's so groundbreaking? He could be implanting memories, too. Ah, okay. Yeah, his Definitely. new code that they talked about. Definitely. That has, it still hasn't been touched. I like that. That would make a lot of sense. They did talk about how memories make a person, right? Mm-hmm. And so memories, what you've gone through makes your character. So in creating this new narrative, he has to create new characters, which means creating new memories of what they've gone through. Right, well, we just saw him give Teddy a whole backstory, complete with memories and things he thinks he recalls. Yeah. Well, the sheriff comes and attempts to bring Dolores back home until William walks in and he realizes she's with him. It's allowed to proceed. And back at the camp, she apologizes to William for causing problems with Logan. Do you think that sheriff was a host or someone working there? Oh, this says host for sure. You know for sure? The HBO site told us he was a host. I know I kind of got the feeling like he was... Uh, an employee? Yeah, because he could have been an employee who, you know, once a visitor comes up, you know, that takes precedence. Everything's so. okay. Yeah, I think it was But then again, an employee wouldn't have grabbed the host like that. Mm-hmm. And did you notice how much Dolores stuck out 
in Las Mudas because <laughs> everyone there is wearing gray, brown, and beige. Mm-hmm. And then you got blue, yeah. bright blue. She she's really got blonde hair. blonde hair. She's sort yeah. of fresh-faced. Later when she's talking to him at the camp and apologizing, she tells him she feels like something is pulling her towards where she needs to be. And he says he can relate and he doesn't want to go back to his old life either. Hmm. Now, with what we've just learned about him being engaged to get married perhaps very soon, telling Clementine he's got somebody he loves waiting at home, it didn't sound like a terrible life. So what are we missing? Well, he might not have been talking about that specific part of his life. Yeah, but he really seems like he'd rather stay here. And there's a piece of me that feels like he's going to fall for her. So there could be some bad stuff going on that we don't know about with him. Yeah, if he hasn't already fallen for her. Mm. And if William is the man in black, he might want Dolores, he might want to find the center to make Dolores Dolores be able to leave and Mm -hmm. be real because he loves her. If that was really him, would we see him treating her the way he does later? Now, I know we were the first to say we didn't think he was raping her. Right. But he certainly wasn't treating her kindly. He's probably tried a thousand times to treat her kindly. Mm, and he just needed to get it work. done because he's in a time frame and he has to get, you know. Right. Could be. I mean, also, you can't treat someone kindly and then cut off their scalp or whatever he did to get information right. from her. Yeah, I mean, that was rough. Yeah. Or he, he either got information from her or that's when he implanted whatever's going on with her now. Mm-hmm. It could be via Dr. Ford. I think we he, don't even know. Yeah, I think he might have put something in there. I was a proponent of, you know, it could be the man in black that we're hearing with her. And this is also where we see her getting the flashback. You know, she's looking at the moon and it switches over to the memory of the text light in her face and her dying. Meanwhile, back at Armistice Camp we see the man in black being approached by this other guest. This is what you were talking about. He tries to thank him for the work his foundation does in the outside world, but the man in black doesn't like it. He says he's a huge fan, and it saved his sister's life. Right. So he's doing good out there in the real world. Yeah. And we know he has money. What do we think he's up to? He's on a mission. He has to stay hard and true during Mm -hmm. this mission. He has to do things that are against what his norms would be. Because he doesn't like what's going on there? Which is kind of my original thought. I'm thinking I should have never changed because my original feelings on a lot of this feel better now again. Mm -hmm. Um, That he was against what Ford was trying to do here, that it was wrong to treat these people this way, and that evolving a consciousness is not something to play around with. Right. You can't just treat that lightly. That might be it, but... (sighs) It seems like he's trying to open the consciousness if he's trying to find the center of the maze. Well, I mean, if he's already done it, if Ford's already gone too far, now the only choice is to allow them to keep evolving and set them free, right? Give them the rights they should have. Might be. Because if you kill them at this point, it's like killing a human being. So I think he shut them down right away because he didn't want the humanity inside him that's real about him to come Mm. back out. Because then he would lose track of what he's trying to do. He's got to... Maybe. I mean, I'm coming up with this out of my ass. No, I like it. I like it, definitely. You ever heard of a man named Arnold? You could say he was the original settler of these parts. 
He created a world where you could do anything you want, except one thing, you can't die. Which means no matter how real this world seems, it's still just a game. But then Arnold went and broke his own rule. He died right here in the park. Except I believe he had one story left to tell. A story with real stakes, real violence. You could say I'm here to honor his legacy. And I think your tattoo is the next piece of the puzzle. We also see him being briefed on Armistice's mission and making this exchange. He wants to hear about her story, and he'll help her out. He tells her a little story, too, about Arnold, who you could consider the original settler, that created a game where you couldn't die, although he did. And he thinks that Arnold had one story left to tell, one with real stakes and real violence. Arnold's name is coming up a lot now. so <laughs> Yeah, so I thought he could be out there in reality trying to launch this storyline again, or that he has this army of rogue hosts that he could be trying to use and it certainly seems like that's going to be a part of it like we said with dr ford's army or is dr ford lying and he was more in agreement with arnold's theories than we thought and he's launching it himself now or he's more in agreement now that he's older and changed his ways could be well either way the man in black is onto it he's hot on the trail now he knows how he's going to continue to find it. Armistice is the next piece in this puzzle. Thus, he rides off with Lawrence, and the two are arrested. The man in black is placed in a cell with Hector, while Lawrence faces a firing squad. And the man in black does something really cool. He takes out the cigar. He's lighting it. You know, he's been carrying this thing, playing around with it the entire time. Didn't know what the purpose was going to be for it. But that's when you hear one of the techs say they've gotten a request for a pyrotechnic effect. Yeah. So apparently this is something he's been allowed to purchase, and it signals that he wants to use that in his narrative. So is it, so it is actually blowing up, but it won't blow up without them saying okay to it. So they really have control over everything. And he must be a guest, at least in some capacity, because that seems... Something they've allowed them to do. Yeah. The guest wants to do this. So he's able to, to break Hector out of jail. And they rescue Lawrence. Poor Lawrence is back in this same situation. I like that they're repeating that. Him being blindfolded and just hearing the shots fire. That's hilarious. At one point, though, when the man in black's talking to Hector, he refers to him as a prized poodle. You know, he is this character that everybody likes in the yeah. story. Antonio Bandera's character. Yeah, you were saying it when we first met him that you were drawn to him. He's very oh, yeah. cool, very suave. I want to be that dude. Despite the fact that he's a, quote, villain mm-hmm. in the narrative, he also doesn't seem like a bad guy. No, he doesn't. And he also says he's locked in a cycle. And he asks Hector about his worldview, to which he responds, only the truly brave can understand the world by accepting that everything will end badly and no one will be saved. Hector said that. Yeah. He's deep throughout this whole episode. I thought for sure when we first saw him, this Mm -hmm. is such a Sizemore character. This very stereotypical bandit, 
rides right. into town, shoot him up. But I wonder if there's more to him than that. I think there is. And the man in black wants to figure out what that is. So they go back to Armistice, who finally explains her tattoo. I was seven when they rode into my town. Masked men in devil's horns. They killed everyone, women, children, even the animals. They got in my mother from her jaw to her sex. I had to paint her warm blood over my skin to make sure that they would think I was dead. Every one of them I tracked down, I used their blood to paint my skin again. Only one man left. The head of the snake. What's his name? He has many names. You must know him as Wyatt. And that it's colored with the blood of the men who attacked her town as a child. She's hunting them down one by one, and every time she catches one, she fills in another part of the tattoo. And that's why only the head of the snake is bare now, because she's looking for the main guy, the one who was in charge, which is Wyatt. Dr. Ford's narrative is already deep within this storyline. I thought that too, or we do see him filling in, as you said, the backstory for Teddy so that it fits in with Wyatt. So has he done the same for her? Right. I mean, she could have had this tattoo already, but it didn't have that deep significance, or maybe it's a thought he's been half-formulating for a long time. But even the detail of the head isn't filled in yet because that's the last person she has to kill. So So that red on the snake is blood? Tattooed into her? Yeah, she's been using every time she kills somebody. She definitely has hepatitis. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, probably not healthy, although uh, you bring up an interesting point. It's a joke. But we go back to there's more physically to these hosts. And I'm dying to get some more information on that. Yeah. And find out how deep it goes. And we'll talk about that a little more when we get to Maeve again. You know, I kind of skipped over this. I think it's imperative that we think about the Clatchers and ourselves. How does the man in black know so much about Arnold? How does he know his whole backstory? When even Bernard didn't know who he was until Ford told him. And that's what made me think they were linked somehow. Maybe if they're not the same person, he did know him and he's carrying on his mission for whatever reason. So there's a lot to uncover with him, and of course we will as the seasons go on. But uh, that's one of the main intriguing storylines that I'm excited to find out about. Me too. You know, when I thought for sure that the man in black was at least part host or had some pieces to him, like Mm -hmm. we said that Ford could have some pieces to him that were altered for him to live longer, I thought... Arnold could have downloaded his consciousness into him. But if he is, in fact, just a regular human and a regular guest, he has been coming here a long time. He could have an older history with Arnold that we don't know about. And that could play out really exciting as well. Uh, And I think another thing, I'm really liking the more I think about this this, uh, storyline. I know you hate it, where there's a lot of the past and a lot of current going on and we just don't know what which is which you know i don't mind them flashing back to it i don't mind them having memories and this not being entirely linear what i'm a little opposed to is the feeling that you could be going back 10 years in one scene 
and seeing something long ago and then going to the present in another. I just feel like there's so much going on that that's going to confuse things. But if they play that out in the right way and weave it all together well in the end, that could be interesting. We did see Maeve's flashback when she was in the outskirts and she was like a farmer or whatever. We knew that was way long ago. And we knew that was a memory. I think that's why I was okay with it. Okay. But yeah, I I mean, there's a lot yet to see. This is episode four. So I'm very open to all of the possibilities. I also have heard a theory many times that I haven't brought up. I agreed with the fact that this is somehow going to pull into the major catastrophe that happened Mm -hmm. 30 years ago. And that I think some of them are having memories of that event. I think the man in black was present for that event. So somebody said, what if because he was a survivor of such a horrible tragedy, he's been given special access to the park now. He can come more than other people. He can have VIP packages. It's kind of a compensation. I don't know why that would be a good compensation, why you would want to keep coming back. If he's William, he has stakes in the company. Yeah, that would make sense. So if you have any other ideas about how the man in black could play into the story, we'd love to hear it. Please write into us. Now we go over to a scene I really liked with Maeve, where she picks up the figurine that was dropped by the Native American girl. Yes. It's a kachina. Bless you. <laughs> the little girl, uh, her community is passing through Sweetwater, and Maeve is struck by the resemblance of the doll to what she's been drawing, this cleanup tech. She wants more answers. So she tries to ask the girl, but the girl won't tell her. And someone else says, that thing's part of their so-called religion. They won't tell you about that. Yeah. And we do get more about that folklore or religion at the end of this episode, too. So it's something talked about. It's something that is actually, I guess, prayed to. And it's the, the gods, the ones that control your strings. Yeah, and they have already explained that to us. This bicameral mind, we've mm-hmm. brought it up now a bunch of times, in beginning stages of evolution, when humans start hearing that voice in their head, they might attribute it to gods. Right. If there's cognitive dissonance or things they can't explain, they could chalk that up to religion. We do that. I was just going to say, that's right us. Now. It draws more human parallels to them. But if that's what they're doing and explaining these people who walk between worlds, mm-hmm. yeah, that's religion to them, right? So these... In essence, it is a god, right? It can walk between worlds. Alien figures that come in with spacesuits. I mean, what would you think if that happened? You would think it's an alien, right? Yeah. So they have been onto this, it seems, for a while. They've built a religion. They have replicas of it. Hey, maybe UFOs that we see are actually the creators. Our creators? Yeah. (laughs) Prometheus? You're going Prometheus on us. I like it. Or they're just like humans and we're robots. Mm -hmm. But my back hurts. I wish they would fix that. (laughs) We get another scene now with Teresa and Bernard. They're getting ready to leave the apartment and she's talking about how she's going to handle Ford. Bernard suggests that She shows strength towards him in the board, that she doesn't act defensive right down to the way she stands when she puts her arms around her belly. That's an ancient instinct. It's an animal's most vulnerable spot. And she should kind of show a little more assertiveness. She leaves, maybe feeling a little more confident, and visits this restaurant. 
mm-hmm. where she meets with Ford. Well, she meets Ford outside, and Ford takes her to the restaurant. Right. Yeah. That's where we get the first glimpse of the construction site with this big... Big-ass crane or whatever. Earth, Earth digger. Yeah. What Earth is digger. this? What is he doing with that? Is he just leveling this whole region? To create his new narrative, yeah. Mm. It's, it's basically like erasing the chalkboard or the dry erase board. It's kind of weird because we see this restaurant that we've never <laughs> seen before. Is this a place that normally guests would go? Yes, because Teresa said when she was a child and they visited, they went there and ate. Mm. I'd like to see more areas of like like that in the park. You know, not just the main it. town, the saloon, all of that. This was interesting to me. But they went in a different direction with it. It wasn't world building. It was completely plot centric because they sit down together. This place, by the way, is called the Agave Plantation. It certainly felt like an old school plantation, right? He's got this big restaurant that looks like a home with crop fields behind it. It almost looks like slaves that he has working out there, tilling in the soil, the host that he has, digging. I guess slaves. I was thinking farmers, workers. Yeah, but he's in total control of them. Well, you don't know that yet. Like a master, like a god later. Here we find out not only did she come here as a child, she's sitting in the exact same seat. He has everything planned down to the detail. He tells her again about Arnold, that he preferred the host. He wanted it to just be like that. Did he want to grow a world? Was he trying to evolve consciousness right from the very beginning? I think the storylines that they had were different. They were more like happy storylines and, you know, adventurous, but like kind of like fun, happy ones. And he said they built, they made hundreds of those and Mm -hmm. none of them worked. Yeah. In the beginning, I imagined things would be perfectly balanced. Even had a bet with my partner, Arnold, to that effect. We made a hundred hopeful storylines. Of course, almost no one took us up on them. I lost the bet. Arnold always held a somewhat dim view of people. He preferred the hosts. He begged me not to let you people in. The money men. Delos. But I told him we'd be fine, that you didn't understand what you were paying for. It's not a business venture, not a theme park but an entire world. We designed every inch of it. Every blade of grass. In here we were gods. And you were merely our guests. And Ford decided to let in the money men. Arnold lost his perspective. He went mad. But Ford has always seen clearly, he tells us. He knows everything about hosts and guests. He even knows about her relationship with Bernard. (laughs) This is so badass. He tells her to be careful because Bernard has a sensitive disposition. And also that there have been many of her over the years. Her position, people trying to come in. And she better not get in his way. The story's moving forward, no matter what she says. 
she tries to bring up the board member and them coming to evaluate. And he tells her the guy already came and went. It's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be a retrospective. There's your big word. Yeah. Because he's not the sentimental type. This is going to be something new and fresh. He's so badass. We finally get the Anthony Hopkins badassery. This wasn't over the top for you? No. I love how he paused every host while he's talking. So he doesn't even do a maneuver. It's kind of like he did it with his mind. Mm -hmm. And I said out loud, audibly, when the wine was like three-fourths full, I was like, that wine, that's a lot of wine. Mm. And then it kept going. I was like, oh, something's up. Like they're on pause. Yeah. Again, that control, much like he did with the snake and the little boy out in the desert. I don't think it was over the top because he had to let her know what's up. And he did it in such a fashion, so calmly. He calmly says, I will destroy you if, if you fuck with me. Yeah, it's just more of that taking him to the ultimate extreme that we were seeing in the last episode that I liked in the beginning when he was a little more gray. We didn't quite know what he was up to, and they seemed to be turning him evil really quick. A man with a god complex. He doesn't care about the host. He's going to bulldoze anybody and anything that stands in his way. Teresa, the plantation. He may end up being the bad guy, but at the same time, if he just stayed at that level, he'd get very boring. So if we have some peaks and valleys... I was so intrigued with him. He could still go back to that. Mm. I think he just needed to let her know what's up. Yeah, I would like if they come back now with a little more intrigue. Make us wonder if he's not a good guy again and how he plays into it. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he got Arnold killed. Oh, yeah. If they're going that way with the storyline, that would be, I think, a logical step. But I think there's something we don't, we're just not aware of. There's something that happened that's making Dr. Ford do this. There's. <sighs> oh, there's a lot of things. I think if, if Arnold really did get killed, it probably happened in that terrible massacre 30 years ago when the park went awry. They started to develop consciousness. They revolted. They somehow were able to kill guests. Uh, Maybe Arnold came in and tried to stop it or fix it. They could have turned against him or Ford could have turned against him. I was under the impression that uh, Arnold either was killed or killed himself before the park was opened. Oh, okay. While they were doing all the testing. It goes back that far. Yeah. Okay, I missed that. Hmm... Well, could they have been evolving that fast? I don't think that would have happened that quickly, do you? What do you mean? That they got to that point where they were evolving so quickly that it was getting um, dangerous. Well, it wasn't that they were evolving at that point. It was that he implanted code. Yeah, he was building them that way. And right away it started to just fuck with them. Mm. And I think Ford is doing a different way. He's doing it differently. Yeah. If it's him doing it. being very careful, that's for sure. I love how he said, uh, well, I love everything he said there, but you don't like it here, do you? And and her thoughts, what she said, not in response to that, but what I loved what she said was um, to protect your legacy and the look on his face. That makes me wonder about her past because she did come there as a child, Mm -hmm. as a guest. She doesn't like it there. Why is she back working there? What are her motives? I don't know. She's a slippery one. I'm not interested in her storyline yet. I wonder if we're supposed to be. 
I think that's why they've tied her to Bernard. As much as I don't like them having a romantic relationship, I think it's going to make you care more about her by proxy. We have two scenes left in this episode. The first, William and Logan capture Slim Miller in a saloon while Dolores waits outside. He tells her something that could be dangerous, given the fact that William doesn't know she's coming to this point. She's evolving. He says, I can't explain it to you, but you can get hurt in there. I can't. Right. And you see almost a spark of recognition in her eyes. She agrees to wait. She could be playing the dumb game. True. Or not. When he hears Slim answer, Logan shoots the bounty hunter so Slim can take them to Pariah. Missed that. Don't know what that means. Hmm. <laughs> but um, what was the point of just having this... Again, another kind of shoot 'em up scene. People are questioning, why are we seeing all of these? Well, they're on one of those storylines. So when you're there, that's a shoot 'em up storyline. Oh, definitely. But we know there's no real emotional tie. There's no real threat because William and Logan can't get hurt. They're just going to come in here and it's like they're building a climactic moment that is not because there's no danger. It's a climactic moment. For the visitors, that's what it's supposed to be. But I think what it's, what they're showing us is that we have to see as viewers what the main storylines are or mm. what these sub storylines are, mm-hmm. so that we can have a difference, a, a juxtaposition when it starts to tilt on its end. Right. Even as small as the fact that they're not going to take him, the bad guy, to jail. Instead, they kill. The guy that was helping him hunt him. Yeah. And now they're going to go to the boss. So now you're going to see that this is a, not a storyline. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, I guess what he said was they an found Easter egg. The Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. So the man in black and Lawrence find Teddy. Here's your boy, Jason. All fucked up again. I didn't even know it was him at first. That's how bad he looked. Yeah. Tied to this tree, really injured. The so tree was cool too. Yeah. He begs to be put out of his misery, to which the man in black says, Looks like misery is all you've got. How true that is. Yeah. And our final scene is where Hector and his gang ride into town and ambush the Mariposa again. Instead of it going like last time, Maeve ushers Hector upstairs and agrees to give him the safe's combination exchange for answers. She's so badass. I told you she'd be a strong character. Yeah. You did, and I'm really feeling connected to her. This was an intense scene. She hands him her sketch of the text she's been drawing, and Hector tells her, He is a shade, the man who walks between worlds in native folklore. They make figures out of them. They were sent from hell to oversee our world. Sent from hell. That's intense. Grabbing Hector's knife, Maeve then presses it against her stomach and asks him to cut it open. She wants the proof. She can't do it herself. He's struggling at first. He really doesn't want to do it. It almost feels like a bit of humanity, that he doesn't want to hurt her. She helps him to cut herself open, and Hector digs in until he finds the bullet. It's in there. So I guess in this whole debacle (laughs) with the text that we're supposed to be doing the surgery and she woke up, they never actually got the bullet out. But we saw that that was so long ago. Because she's drawn all those drawings. Yeah. So that bullet's been in there for a while. Oh, 
okay, what if this was earlier and the bullet is what caused the MRSA infection to grow in there? Oh, maybe. That would mean there would have to be two mess-ups, though. Well, they never got the MRSA because she ran out, right? So they stitched her up. Yeah. That bullet happened during that scene where she saw Clementine die, and then mm-hmm. she was shot, too. Yeah. So she was remembering dying from it. I'm wondering, though, like, how did the robot get MRSA? And if there was something sitting inside of her for a there while, perhaps. But, the, yeah, that's two slip-ups. Somebody not catching the bullet, so it stays in there. And then them going in to do the surgery and messing up again. Ooh. These guys suck. She holds it up for Hector as proof that her memories are real. She's died before. She's almost feeling a bit relieved by this discovery. She's figured something out. And she says, I'm not crazy after all, and none of this matters. How does she know that none of it matters? I think she's found out that it repeats. She can die and come back. So it doesn't matter what she does. Mm -hmm. This is where I said, for as much as they're trying to push Dolores as being the one who's awakening and catching on so quickly, it feels like Maeve is much more human, has put together the pieces much faster, Mm -hmm. and knows on a deeper level what it could mean. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that just goes to show every episode, it started with Dolores and ended with Dolores. This one, it started with Dolores and ended with Maeve. Mm. So I think that's kind of uh, a hint at that same thought as well. And her figuring out the deeper puzzle, because you took notice of the other quote there. When Hector's talking about the dreamwalker... And some said you could see them. He says it's a blessing from God to see the masters who pull your strings. Mm -hmm. Now, he may have been speaking metaphorically, but in this case, it's actual truth. (laughs) Yeah, and the dreamwalkers being these texts because they can move between worlds. And again, they've equated that to a religion where they are quite literally determining every moment of your life. Yeah. So I think we're going to see Maeve's character like really be one of the more interesting characters if it is true that she's realized that she can just die i think she'll be more willing to take risks and and uh, really fuck up their timelines yeah absolutely that was probably the most exciting part of this for me i'm really enjoying where they're going with that and all of the questions that it's bringing up we've talked about a lot of them speaking of questions In doing our research, I came across a good article from Business Insider, and they highlighted 11 thought-provoking questions that are raised by Westworld. Their number one is, do we all live in a simulation? This is what you've been bringing up over and over again. In RL, how do we know that this isn't what's happening with us? Number two, can we actually control artificial intelligence? So I love that when the creators discuss the series, they talk about the deeper questions they're trying to explore with technology and how quickly we move ahead without questioning what that could mean. Oh, yeah. There's been other movies like that before that talk about the threats behind it and how, you know, you and I always talk about our differing viewpoints on technology. Mm Mm-hmm. You're more of the team of advancement. We should move forward. We should figure out what it is. You're always excited to see what the next new thing is about. And I'm always wary. What could be the negatives? How could this evolve? How could it change and potentially be bad? Yeah. So they're trying to explore some of those themes with this show. Well, Professor Stephen Hawking, 
Mm-hmm. You know him, right? He had, he's a renowned scientist. He's warned that robots and machines, this is back in 2014, mm-hmm. with artificial intelligence could one day mean the end of all of us. He said that. Yeah, well, we wondered, could one of the themes here be that the hosts wind up being more humane and more real than even the human beings in this series? Yeah. Because they become better. And what if they do become better than us? Joe Rogan thinks, one of his uh, theories, and I kind of like it, it's fun, is that the evolution of man might be to bring in the computer age. Mm -hmm. And it's in our DNA to continue to be better, to continue to strive to be better, where we didn't stop at, say, color TV and say, it's good enough. That's good, right. We always want to get better and better and better, is nature's way of creating robots and creating artificial intelligence. We're so just that is the, the natural evolution. Yeah, that's what he thinks. I thought that was deep. Huh. Well, and their, their next question goes into that. How far is this stuff, really? How far off are intelligent machines? So we see them using these 3D printers almost to make bodies. We don't know what goes inside of that. They're saying it could be nanobots, genetically engineered tissue, or maybe just a plastic that's more advanced in its technology. Hope it's recyclable. (laughs) And nothing like that exists in the real world, but they (laughs) highlight that researchers are working on advanced soft robots, ultra-dense power sources, miniaturized everyday components, and lots more. So it might not be as far off as we think it is. Yeah. Number four was our favorite question. What is consciousness? What does that mean and what are the factors that go into human self-awareness? Number five, can robots evolve? And here they actually do highlight scientist Stephen Hawkins. Oh, they did? Yeah. um, His fear that it's a realistic prospect and what that could mean. Number six, what is free will? Because we see Ford saying the hosts only feel what we tell them to feel. Yeah. So where is that line with how much free will do you have? And that gets into questions of what do you believe about religion? If you believe we have a God or a creator, how much free will do we actually have? Are things destined to happen? You can definitely extrapolate off of that one question and have a six-hour podcast about that. Free will about the government. Do we have free will? Do we have Mm -hmm. freedom? All of these questions could be. And now when you go through them, you see how they could have five seasons of Westworld. Yeah. If they want to address all of these things. Oh, definitely. I mean, number seven goes off in a totally different direction. How do we behave when we have no limits? So we briefly touched upon the influences that this show takes from video games. Last time we talked about Grand Theft Auto, we forgot to include one of the other influences Nolan and Joy said was Red Dead Redemption. Mm. That's a good game. But with both of these, guests can go along with the story and participate in quests, or they can just cause chaos. You said you can just ride through the streets and shoot people. Yeah. Punch them. And (laughs) what does that mean? Because they're saying that's how we behave when we have no limits. I think it's when you have no consequences. You're doing that because you're not hurting anybody in that video game. And we talked about that's how guests feel when they come to this park. They think it's no harm to anyone. If they knew that was a potential, mm-hmm. but we're still allowed to do it, that's no limits. Well, when we play games like uh, Telltale Game, Walking Dead, we still, because you and I always want to be the polite ones. Yes, we can't we even play We still try bad. to make the polite, like which one is the most polite answer? 
don't yell at her. You wouldn't yell at her, you know? So we probably, it depends on your character. You know what's funny about that? We don't choose White Hat, though, because White Hat would be the truly noble thing, no matter what it costs. Right. We always want to be that in the middle. Yeah. We don't want to offend either side. And in the games, that never works out well. No. And apparently we, we still tend to offend people on this podcast, so we're not doing very well. <laughs> well, I guess you really, that doesn't work. Yeah. You really can't be one way or the other, no. right? You've got to pick. But maybe that next layer of no limits will come to pass in the park. When people realize that there is potential they could be harming, do they still engage in these things? And how does that change? Number eight, what could a mysterious pandemic do to the world? So in this, they talk about the fact that we still don't know what's changing the Westworld hosts or even what's going on outside of Westworld in the real world, right. so to speak. And that could be something they explore on one or both levels. Number nine, how far past the uncanny valley has Ford taken the robots? So Ford tells Bernard that the hosts began to pass the Turing test after the first year of the park, meaning they've been able to pass for humans for a long time now. Wow. Even longer than we thought. Number 10 kindly kind of goes back to a former question. Will people actually abuse artificially intelligent robots? So that's what I said what the next step would be. If they knew that there is some sort of sentience to them, but they still don't have limits, they have the ability to do that, will they change their minds about it? Yeah. And finally, number 11, I think this was our favorite. Can we upload our minds to machines? So there's a strong suggestion or a foreshadowing that mind uploading or recreating your own brain into a machine could be something they're playing with here. Would you, if you could? (laughs) That's something we brought up a while back, and... We've kind of put a few questions to our listeners. We haven't gotten direct feedback on those questions. One of them is, what would you do in this park? How would you play? And another one was, yeah, would you upload yourself? It's a hard question, but when we took that quiz Mm -hmm. on the Discover Westworld site, that came up, and you had to answer very quickly, or you could get shut down out of the questionnaire. And my initial response was no. So that's it was a like, no. yes, no, maybe. And I was clear, no. It said, is that you? You know, if you could transfer your genetic makeup and your memories, everything from that point where you had an accident into an artificial intelligence, would that be you? And my first thought was no. It reminds me of a Black Mirror episode. That's all I'm going to say. If you're not <laughs> watching Black Mirror, you have to. And we're still thinking about doing a podcast about Black Mirror afterwards. We will let you guys know and ask you if you want us to. Tangent. <laughs> so one more thing. Speaking of how would you play, there was a five things you learned from the Westworld Comic-Con panel. They went through with the creators, Jonathan Nolan, Lisa Joy, and a bunch of cast members to get some insights on what we can expect. They gave a lot of what we've already discussed. The cast is in the dark as you are about this, so they don't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen moving forward. They did say the nightmares will play a large part of the emerging consciousness. They also asked Lisa Joy what her persona would be in Westworld, and she answered, a bounty hunter. Nice. She was asked if she would play black hat or white hat, and 
she talked about that personality test on discoverwestworld.com and said, when I took the test, I thought, well, I'm so sweet. I'm going to be a homesteader. And then I got bounty hunter because apparently I'm a crazy killer. (laughs) Yeah. And that means there were supposed to be results of that test. We didn't get that. Well, you should try it again. Yeah, we didn't play it right or something. Speaking of discoverwestworld.com, we got our updates again from Aiden this week. The new location is, of course, the Agave Plantation. They describe it as, Rumor is this hidden jewel within the park is not long for this world. So stop in to drink the best tequila you've ever had in your life while you can. The distillery is the ultimate Spanish oasis, buttressed against the arid desert winds blown in from west and south. Stop by for fine dining under our covered veranda or tour the expansive blue fields, which are the finest for miles. Under the latest action, they have slicing under the surface that takes you to the YouTube clip of Maeve getting the answer. That was cool. And always our favorite is Inside Delos, which was Circles of Life. They gave us a host intake protocol from Livestock Management. Nice little infographic. Well, it's livestock managed, like a uh, worker's manual of how they have to act and treat the hosts. Yeah, which it's just, it's just again, they call it livestock. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is particularly what to do in case of an unusual activity and going outside to retrieve them to get to the host. This was interesting. Step one, after any resulting bloodshed, undertaker hosts will arrive to collect deceased host units. So we wondered why they didn't use hosts more within the narrative to do the job so that employees wouldn't have to come in. Mm -hmm. And this is an example of where they do. So if things go right under standard protocol and there's not unusual activity, They will take these dead people. They'll play it like it's part of it. The undertaker will actually bury them into marked graves, which then bottom out into shafts that transport it to the mesa. They'll arrive at livestock management and can wheel the damaged host to the intake room to be repaired. This is also where you wind up. If there's unusual activity and you actually have to go out and get them, you will still bring them back to the same spot so they can fix them up. Take all the clothing off, put everything for cleaning and repair. Thoroughly rinse the hosts and prepare them. By the way, any accompanying body parts are to be cleaned only if reattachable. I mean, they're just treating it like it's such a business, such a machine. You have to, though, right? Yeah. It even says take them to the assigned body shop repair room. Techs will often receive familiar units. Please do not swap assignments. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, though, because if you're familiar with certain hosts, you know if something's up, mm. something's not right. Yeah, well, there, there it then says, fully review host status and confirm sleep mode before beginning repairs, yeah. where our text went wrong last time with Maeve. Do not close ballistic wounds without removing debris and shrapnel. Another issue. Take out the bullets. These guys suck. So that could lead you to one of two final ends. If assigned to head back topside, recostume and send for park transport. Or if assigned for diagnostic checkups, send newly repaired host directly to behavior. I really love these are the funnest things to me. Like with the Dolores narrative, all these extra looks inside that we get. And we've seen these parts. I want to see them get dumped. I want to see what it looks like. 
when they Down get buried. The grave. That'd be cool. That's so crazy. Well, that was everything for this episode. So how about your reverie rating, Jason? I went up. I did 9.8 reveries. Wow. From 9.7. You loved it. I liked it a lot. We got to see the Man in Black kick ass. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't boring. It wasn't just like shoot, shoot, shoot. He had a plan. Mm -hmm. He spoke to our man, which I was hoping he'd come back, Hector. And Armistice, we actually got to see her talk this time. She's pretty cool. Yeah, you liked both of them, so that makes sense. And then we finally got to see Dr. Robert Ford uh, in what I've been waiting for with an, an... breakout part where he's not gray like you were saying right we don't know where he's up to well i love that too but i'd love this part of him more because that's what i expect from anthony hopkins <laughs> i love the whole freezing the people yeah and there was beautiful art to this episode it reminded me of mr robot artistic cinematography and all that yeah i really enjoyed this one I really liked it as well. I was a little disappointed in the Ford part. So where you liked that, this brought me down just a tick. I'm still high. I'm at 9.4. I felt a little bit bounced around. I do like some of the questions it's bringing up. I love the Maeve stuff. I love when they go to Bernard. I wish we would see a little more of him, a little more of Elsie. I'm not hot on Hector or Armistice. So again, that could be another reason why I'm you know, a little turned off. But I'm eager to see where William and Logan are going. And I agree with the critic quote, Westworld continues its puzzle box way of thinking by giving the audience plenty to chew on as the incremental revelations seem only to push the viewer deeper down the rabbit hole. And down we certainly went this week. (laughs) We were here, there, and everywhere. And that leads me to who was your MVB or most valuable being for episode four? I asked Twitter. We we got likes on that. No one responded. We just got (laughs) a lot of likes. that's funny. I I wanted you to put that out to them because I was actually having trouble figuring out who my MVB was. And again, we're a little all over the place, but I'm having trouble connecting with any one character. Yeah. Well, which is weird. This normally doesn't happen, but everything I loved about this episode, you didn't like. Yeah. So I had two. But the one that really stands out to me is Dr. Robert Ford, a calm threat that literally freezes time. Come on, doesn't get it much better than that. Yeah, so you would love the quote I have for him. In here, we were gods, and you were merely our guests. Yep, it's perfect. And I was worried every time we say, who's our MVB? Remember I kept saying, I can't believe we have Anthony Hopkins here, and he has yet to be our MVB. Yeah. So I think this is going to be the first of many of my Dr. Ford MVBs. My other one was going to be the man in black. Yeah, I'm split also because I've already given it to Maeve. So you have the man in black saying, no choice you ever made was your own. You've always been a prisoner. What if I told you I'm here to set you free? Yeah. But then also, I love the later quote from Hector. You assume I have any answers. This world is madness. Mm -hmm. Which again, just seems to suggest this increased sense of understanding. Well, that was it for episode four, Dissonance Theory, but... We're not quite finished yet for the podcast. We had a preview for episode five, Contrapasso, with the man in black saying to Dr. Ford, have you made a worthy adversary, someone to stop me from finding the maze? Ford, what are you hoping to find there? Truth. Okay, so 
right away, now I don't think that Dr. Ford and the men in black are working together. Mm-hmm. So we know that. And it, they know each other. We at least know that. Yeah, I'm certain they have a history. He's got a history with Arnold. Uh, we talked about the meanings of upcoming episodes, and one of the titles is The Adversary. So here they allude to the worthy adversary being Ford's creation of Teddy to be his hero. It seems that way because Teddy grabs his arm. I, I need Teddy to be a badass. I need him to have some redemption. And that's why he's given him a backstory. And a backbone. That would all make sense now. So excited to see where that one goes. Me too. On to our favorite part, Clatcher's comments. I want to give a huge shout out to... MP Newhouse, Wicked Jazz, The Basher 1228, K Webster, DFW Suburbia, Mega Barberva, Big Bear 224, Terra Chic, B Shard, and Sarah K23 for leaving amazing reviews on our Westworld channel. Real quick, I just want to bring up two negative reviews that we got. Yep. It was a mistake I made. So they caught you out this time. Thank goodness it's not me again being a smartass. The first episode, (laughs) and I said that Tandy was the the woman from yeah Avatar and Avatar uh, and the other one. Yeah, and I fucked up. Okay, it wasn't that I didn't I didn't do the research. It was something that popped in my head, and I said it. Yeah, well, I think the problem there is you were talking about two movies with heavy uh, makeup. makeup, So I I think it's an easy mistake to make. And honestly, we try to get these episodes out to you as quickly as we possibly can following the airing of the show, which means we have very little time to do hours worth of research. We're not going to catch everything. That doesn't mean we're not out here working hard for you. This is quite literally hours of research. That's why we always appreciate if you have any information writing into us. We will certainly take it and read out the good stuff on our fun facts. But speaking of mistakes, I'm I'm going to bring up one before I even get called on it. Um, there's been a lot of talk on other podcasts that I've heard many people pronouncing the actress's name as Thandie Newton. Mm-hmm. And that's why I pronounced it that way. But somebody said the other day it's Tandy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I had heard both and just wasn't quite sure but I will try to stick with Tandy moving forward. Let's go positive again. I want to give uh, a couple more shout-outs. Sven921 and Babette for doing the same awesome review, but on our main channel. Honestly, we do appreciate the positives. Oh, yeah. We've got lots of great fans out there. We thank you so much. You make it all worth it. Speaking of which, shout-outs to Ed Harris, Richard, Drew, at Sound, and Alec on Twitter. Sawsound was really interested in the trompe l'oeil technique we talked about, which is the painting where you can take a 2D and try to make it look like 3D within a piece of artwork. And Alec also just told everybody to listen to us, which is always great if you want to tweet that out. We actually got a website comment from RG Terp. I didn't see this, and I definitely want to see if I can find it. He writes, In the pilot, did anyone else see a host which looked like Bernard in one of his first scenes? Oh, wow. It would reinforce the Bernard as a host theory. Hmm. Mm, no, I would have to go back and look. I definitely want to go back and look, and thank you for writing to us on our website. Also on Twitter, Ken asked what's at the top of Arnold's triangle, because Dolores says, when I knew who I am, I will be free. 
So we talked about how we believed that was self-actualization. They mm-hmm. mentioned it in the episode. They did kind of say it was still an unknown, though. So that might not exactly be it. But something similar, yeah. most likely. Also, Trisha Lynn says, I noticed that Teddy reacts to the buzzing flies at the end of last episode, swatting them away. Is he waking up? You know, I didn't even catch that he was reacting to them. I didn't either. And again, this is weird because you mentioned feeling connected connected to him. They mentioned this. And yet I've been feeling like he's the least awake and alive. They pulled that little switcheroo where in episode one we actually thought he was a guest. But since then, he seems very programmed, like he's sticking most to his loop. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see many more hosts, even ones we don't expect, start to wake up. Craig asked about the area of the park where the kids go alluding to the section where the family is standing watching Dolores paint and saying they shouldn't cross the river because it's too adult for Jacob. Right. And while we did pick up on that and we did know there were areas, in fact, one of the behind the scenes tells us there is a kid's area. But we weren't sure the way the rules worked, and they actually clarified that a little bit in this episode. Yeah. As you said, when the gang is coming into town, they hear about families coming in and they decide to put two of the guests in jail, change the whole narrative right on the spot. Clean it up. I mean, does this happen every time a family comes near any action? They said they changed their itinerary. So in their itinerary, they were going to be gone from the main part where this... Ah, okay. So it was a switch in their itinerary. So I don't think so. So They always know where... Yeah. They just adjusted the narrative. Yep. Wow, but they still are really on top of every single moment. Micromanaging. You have to. changes... In that world. Well, and finally, as far as Twitter goes, Tiffany sent us two possible theories regarding Dolores and who she could be modeled off of. Theory number one, Dolores was modeled from Ford's wife, but she loved Arnold. Theory number two, Dolores is modeled off the love child of Arnold and Ford's wife. Hmm. So there could be some type of relationship angst that this goes back to, you know, former friend. There's a revenge line going on. She highlights that if he loved her, why does he put her through this storyline over and over again? He seems to have no fondness or connection for her. So he said it could be a lost daughter or somebody from his past, but why would he be doing this to her? Right. Um, That was a good point and really made me think twice that there could be something deeper going on there, some kind of connection perhaps to Arnold. But also, does anybody have a happy storyline in Westworld? I mean, could he give that to her? That's kind of the the theme that's going on in this park is I don't think anybody can just live happily ever after. At least she gets certain times where she goes back to the ranch, she goes to sleep, everything's okay. And again, Dr. Ford was talking about the hundreds of narratives that they came up with him and Arnold I think there were happy endings Mm, and those did not stick they didn't last yeah good point but definitely something to think about those are good theories and we also got a couple of email responses to wrap it up we already talked about Oren's questioning why Elsie and Stubbs have to follow the stray so closely Joe also says she thinks the extra line of code the tech refers to when they go searching for the stray is one that says, if for any reason you are about to harm a person or malfunctioning, you must kill yourself immediately. So that's why he... So she thinks it could be written in there and not that somebody else said, don't let them get this information, save yourself, that it's almost part of the good Samaritan reflex they have. But then again, she highlights that she's later saved by her code when the stray is coming after her because of a programming glitch. 
So who knows? And that's right on. Who does know? <laughs> but I like where her head's at. Absolutely. Eddie from New Jersey has a theory about the man in black. Actually, a current question. Is he one of the original hosts that was supposed to be terminated but wasn't because of a possible intervention by Arnold? So if he's not Arnold himself, maybe he's one of those really old ones, the first ones they put in the park, and he Mm -hmm. had more consciousness than he was supposed to, and they were supposed to get rid of him, but they didn't. That's a great theory, and that was written before this episode. Which kind of puts that to rest. Puts him to be a guest. That's a good theory. Well, and then the follow-up was, will the maze lead him to be able to access the code for the host of Westworld? And that could still be true. Yeah, I like that. Well, if you could learn to access your own code as a host, you could probably access... Somebody else's? The code to the core. Oh, for the whole system. Right, because, you know, wirelessly maybe you could... If you could get access to your own code. Is that what they did 30 years ago? Why all of the hosts started turning on guests? Because one of them found their way to the center and woke them all up? Oh, they're woke. Mass awakening. So maybe the the maze isn't a physical maze. Maybe it's the maze within within themselves in their code. That's what we wondered. So physically it could get to the center of the Mesa hub where they could control something, but that seems a little too... um, On the nose. Yeah. I I like the one we had brought up about the programming and it being inside of their head because it corresponds to the actual code that builds their brain. Right. um, And how to spread it. What are the keywords? You know, maybe there's a master phrase. Well, if you've... Find the center of your code. Maybe you have the same powers that Dr. Ford has. Right. Like you can whisper a violent delight. Or not even that. He doesn't even have to whisper. Ah, wave a hand. Think a thought. Yep. Clever. I like it. Clever. (laughs) So we've definitely enjoyed reviewing episode four. We can't wait to see what's in store for us in the future. And we look forward to seeing you next time where we will review episode five, Contrapost. Thank you so much for listening. Keep getting the word out. Follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast. Email us, contact at coffeeclasscrew.com. And combat these uh, negative reviews, these cheap negative reviews, and give us some more positive ones. Listen, we put a call out last time, and you guys really responded. We got a bunch of positive ones, so that's a great feeling. We'll just keep asking you, if you haven't already done so, to please get on there and leave a few words. You guys are the fans that we're doing this for, so please allow us to keep doing so. We appreciate all your support. Until next week. This round's on me. This round is on me.